Welcome to Geeksploration, the podcast where we have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And we're all out of bubblegum. I'm John Williams. And I'm Ben Robinson. Comb your mullet, grab your Hoffman lenses. Life's a bitch and she's back in heat. We're talking They Live. How you doing, Ben? I am doing well. You yeah. know, I'm uh, just living my life, married, reproducing, uh, generally obeying. Uh, I think everything's just fine. Yeah, you're consuming. Oh, uh, yes, I consume quite a lot, actually. Yeah. You and sleep? Sl- oh, boy, I love sleep. <laughs> I'm probably falling behind on that one a little bit, though. Yeah, yeah, but you're, you're, you're doing their good work. So we, of course, uh, as we said, are talking about the 1988 uh, classic, or would it, or would cult it be cult classic? classic? I think yeah. it's a cult classic. I mean, it did pretty well. Yeah, it opened at number one, but yeah. it, it, I feel like it, like everything I heard was it got just very middle of the road reviews and money. Like it eventually did turn a profit, but it wasn't like some blockbuster. Yeah, which which I can believe. Yeah, this was our first time, both of us, seeing this flick. Yeah, this flick, which is called They Live. Yes. <laughs> Just to finish my sentence earlier. <laughs> yeah, we were we were trying to figure out what we were going to do for our next episode. And Ben had the brilliant idea of doing something similar to, to what we did with Zardoz, where there's a movie that, you know, that we hadn't seen that we wanted to see. And it's definitely in the uh, in the zeitgeist. So, you know, let's do it. This has been on my like, I need to watch this movie list for a very long time time yeah unlike zardoz where i hadn't even heard of it until you brought it up and just like watched the trailer and was like holy shit yeah okay i need to watch this it looks weird as fuck yeah this thing can't stay on my on my radar for a long time it has to happen now yeah this is more like one of those movies that like were i to tell somebody i hadn't seen it they would be like what how have you not seen that movie yeah because it is it is a bit of a cult classic it's got a following it is uh it has uh the very memorable and quotable line that we used in the intro about uh, kicking ass and chewing bubblegum. Mm-hmm. That uh, I knew about that. Yeah. But that was about it. Yeah. I, I think for, uh, you know, like I've, I've been really excited to watch this. Um, I, a few years ago, I listened to a podcast that um, it was either a podcast or it was a, a documentary series on TV. I can't remember which. But I know they talked about a bunch of John Carpenter movies because I remember them talking about Halloween and The Thing and They Live. And all of a sudden I was just like, fuck, like I want to watch all of these movies. Like I've, I've seen Halloween and The Thing at yeah. one point or another. Absolutely. Um, but I wanted to watch them all. And I would go to, uh, to the local store that no longer exists called Dimple Records where you could find like $3 movies. And I would always be looking to, to see if any of those were there. And they would never show up like the thing would show up, but it was like shrink wrapped and like 10 bucks. But it's like, man, I don't go to Dimple to pay 10 bucks for a movie. Yeah, You know, like I I, I want that $3 movie, but they never popped up. So I never uh, made it happen. I watched Halloween eventually. I, you know, did like an adult rewatch, but I still haven't watched the thing. I think that would be, yeah, like, or I mean, not since I was a little kid and probably not from start to finish. Uh, you should do that. The thing is fucking great. That is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Yeah, and I've watched a lot of like behind the scenes uh, documentaries and stuff on the special effects. 
you know, so I feel like I know the movie really well, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell you exactly like what sequence the events happen in. Huh. Well, just don't mistakenly watch the remake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the remake slash prequel question mark, like yeah. it, it, it's supposed to possibly be the, the first team. Cause in the thing, you know, it's, it, it, there was a team that already yeah. went, went out of commission. Yeah. It was dumb. Yeah. That's Thankfully, what I heard. No one's remade. They live. You know, what's funny is when I went to uh, just look up some factoids on They Live on IMDb, there was one that was like, you know, in development. Fuck off. <laughs> it's going to happen. I mean, the great thing about that is the message that They Live imparts is very much oh, like man. anti-unrestrained capitalism and consumerism and like all of the messages in that movie apply even more today than they did back then. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was I, I, like, I've got a note about that, like with social media now it, and alternative facts and all kinds of shit that we yeah. got going on now and everyone's little echo chambers. Like it's, it's even more relevant and I guess you could remake it through that lens, but, uh, it would be purely to make a bunch of money by a giant corporation. Sweet irony. <laughs> I, I wonder, I wonder if the ghouls would be the good guys. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wonder what John Carpenter would feel about that. I don't imagine he would want them to do that. Yeah. He's still I mean, alive? Yeah. Right? He is? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least at least Reagan's not around anymore, because if you watch some interviews with that guy, like, holy shit. Oh, he does not like Ronald Reagan at all. And that, that was a, a huge inspiration for, for his messaging in this flick was Reaganomics and you know, the, the rich class dictating everything for, for, you know, for the rest of us. Trickle down economics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I had like the shot of the like politician on the thing where he mentioned, you know, morning in America, you know, and it's another morning in America or something like that, which is back to Reagan's like campaign thing. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Like the old commercial was like, it's morning in America and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, usually we lead with first impressions, but, uh, yeah, yep. Yeah, the, the, I mean, do you have one outside of like we just saw it for the first time? I I think I do. It's it's a slight one because you know, like we said, like we we've we've heard about this movie a bunch and we've seen those aliens and stuff. You know, like we, it's it's inescapable. It's in pop culture, so we're we're going to have seen something. But what I remember most from They Live previous to watching it was being in the video store when I was younger and that cover with, with, uh, you know, the sunglasses and the reflection of one of the ghouls. And I'll tell you what, before I started watching this movie, like I hadn't really given it some thought, but like, I always thought this was a horror movie and it is not even slightly a horror movie. No, especially it coming from John Carpenter, who is well known. I mean, he doesn't just do horror movies, but yeah, he is absolutely, I mean, he's known as the master of horror. So yeah, I mean, like, like, like his, the thing, I mean, his, his movie just before they live was, uh, uh Prince of darkness. Yeah. Uh, Halloween. Oh yeah. Jeez. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> and even like big trouble in little China had horror elements, even though it was an action comedy for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit more of an adventure flick. Yeah. So, I mean, that's my first impression. Just seeing that thing that to me, it just looked like a zombie. I mean, it's got some horror elements. I mean, it's, it's kind of got that invasion of the body snatchers vibe. Yeah. You know, where like, you don't know who you can trust, except he's got glasses that lets him know exactly who he can trust. But like for everybody else, it'd be spooky, but yeah, it's got an eerie quality. Like, like I, I, 
I could see this being a, an episode of the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I don't really have uh, any specific thing, but I mean, I've seen like GIFs of, of him like taking the glasses on and off and like looking at the sign that says obey and stuff. Mm-hmm forever for like or you know for a long time many many times and but that's that's about all i knew about this movie going into it was he said the line about kicking ass and chewing bubble gum <laughs> yep. it had something to do with some glasses that let him see you know reality or something let him see something else mm-hmm. and uh weird uh zombie looking people were in it somewhere yeah and that that um whatever documentary i either saw or listened to a few years back is holy shit i tried to find that and i have no idea what it was i've got a a very clear memory imprint of having listened to that because they talked a lot about they live and it just super got me into it so i i knew the basic beats of the entire movie like it could have been how did this get made but i looked and, and i didn't see it there but it was one of those types of shows so I knew about, about, you know, what the sunglasses did. I knew about the, uh, the big fight we'll talk about and yeah, I, had no and idea I knew how it that. ended. Yeah. I, I didn't know. How, I didn't know that either. I went in the went to this pretty dang cold. Yeah. Uh, well, I started going into this pretty dang cold. Uh Oh, I decided to go into this chronologically. So oh, okay. the, the movie was based on a short story by uh, Ray Nelson called eight o'clock in the morning that was published in the fantasy and science fiction magazine in 1963. And when I say short story, I mean short story. So I went, I looked this thing up and I mean, it's like five or six pages long. Like you can get through it in a couple minutes. Yeah. I, I had no idea it was so short. Like I was interested in, um, in reading it, but you know, the, things were just kind of jammed up. So I didn't, I didn't really look into it. And then I saw when you, I saw when you passed it off to me, I was like, holy shit. Like this thing is like without like the space that it takes for a title, it's like five pages Yeah, and not even like tight single spacing or no. anything. <laughs> it, is, it is, it's a super short, pretty simple story. doesn't have a whole lot of nuance or description. It's just, it goes through it pretty clean. Uh, it's, it's fairly fun. It's, it's definitely different. I mean, obviously it has a lot less in it because uh, it's basically an idea that John Carpenter took and made and had to like make a movie around because there's, you know, the events in the the story are pretty brief. Yeah, I heard that they use hypnotism rather than than uh, any sort of like sunglasses. And yeah, yeah. So basically it starts out with uh, there's there's this dude, George Nada. Who, uh, who's like one of, like at a hypnotist stage show. And when the hypnotist tells him to awake, he really awakens and he looks around and like sees these weird people in the audience. And he's like, you know, worried that they'll know that he sees them. So he like slips out and, and sounds up, like fun. Yeah. Yeah. Ends up like, he's like wandering, like kind of wandering around, like, and he sees all, you know, sees like signs and stuff with subliminal message on them. So, I mean, that, that, all that stuff's there. And then he ends up, uh, like you know, running into one of the guy, one of the aliens and just deciding to fucking kill him. He's like, fuck this kills the guy and like goes to his girlfriend's house and, you know, kills the neighbor. They like, it's just like, he's, he's going to kill all these guys and the cops start chasing him and he ends up like going to a, uh, TV studio and, uh, killing, like killing the, the anchor. That's one of the dudes and like telling everybody to wake up. And, uh, then he gets killed and you know, the people start a war against them. That actually sounds very much like a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. I, I mean, it was in 1963. Yeah, right in the right era. 
it easily could have been adapted to a, a <laughs> yeah to a Twilight Zone episode without any fucking issue. Its brevity, I think, was its biggest weakness. There's not a lot of nuance. Uh, I think it could have. I would have preferred it with a bit more ambiguity with how short it was as to like whether or not what he saw was real. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, where if they, which I think the twilight zone would have done where they would have played on, is he seeing reality or is he just gone mad and he's murdering people? They would have had at least one secondary character. Who's like his friend who's trying to, you know, help him because his friend doesn't see it. And and yeah, you have to question whether or not the hypnotist fucked him up or woke him up. Well, and they kind of have that with his girlfriend because she doesn't see it, but it's, it, like like the end the end of the story is just like you know he did this and then people started a war against them so it, like he ends the story with and he's it, a hero and it was clearly real and it's like oh well that's disappointing I would have liked to have maybe wondered whether or not it was real yeah it's definitely not a dark ending like you expect from one of those stories yeah but uh, you know all in all it's a cool concept obviously yeah uh, and uh, so after that I read the comic. Which is like a five or six page comic. Yeah, it was an Eclipse comic. It was what it, it was in the back of what what? It was comic? an Alien Encounters number six. That's right from nineteen eighty six. I want to say, and I actually ended up. I read the entire issue of Alien Encounters number six because I found it online. Was it great? Oh, it was. It was okay. It had a couple other good stories in it, so it was a fun read. It had that old school, like, sci fi pulp feel, which which is really cool, especially since it was published in like the mid eighties. Yeah. So it wasn't part of like the old pulp comic swing back in like the fifties. Well, yeah, it was. It was Eclipse doing a lot of uh, like they did a lot of the those uh, those science fiction throwbacks. Like I think that's the com- the same company that did Forbidden Worlds. Yes, oh, it is, is it okay? Yeah. All of a sudden, I was like, wait, was that Comico? But I think that's the company the Rocketeer debuted in. Oh, really? In a backup story. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Eclipse first, and then oh, later on, it was fun. it was Comico. Yeah, it was, it was cool. It was, it was a fun read. It had a couple other cool stories in it, but it was pretty much a direct pull on the story. Like they didn't, not a whole lot of deviations one way or the other. Um, the art was pretty cool. Like the way they drew the, the fascinators is what they called them in the story. Okay. Uh, is where they've got like 15 eyeballs and they're all like tentacles and weird shit. Yeah. I saw a, uh, a couple stills from that and they were fucking gross. Yeah. Yeah. They were fucking way out there. Very obviously not people. Yeah, and I think that that was one of the things that the uh, the design in They Live benefited from was that it was just a face change. So it was still clearly a human being, and it's not, you know, like, like that's where the illusion is. It's just a face, but the bodies are still there. Like, they, they're, they're humanoid. You can touch them, and they feel like a human being. Whereas, like, if you were hypnotized, and you had, like, a giant squishy creature with 15 eyeballs, like, it might feel a little different if you went to go touch one of them. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I, I I saw a thing from John Carpenter saying that like he wanted to make them look like more ghoulish and more like corrupted humans because they were, you know, because he saw the you know the the wealthy elite and the people that you know those people as corrupting society. Yep. I think it probably also had something to do with that. It was way easier on the budget he was working with. Yeah, I think he had a budget of four million dollars this time around because his movie before Prince of Darkness was uh, Big Trouble in Little China. And as much of a cult classic as that is, it underperformed. It did not do well. Which so, is shocking to me because that is such a good fucking it's so movie. Good. <laughs> that might be my favorite John Carpenter flick. Yeah. It's either that or The Thing or Halloween. Or Prince of Darkness. 
No. Or that not. Elvis flick he did with <laughs> Kurt Russell. I mean, speaking uh, I mean, of Kurt Russell and all that. from L.A., yeah, oh, it was pretty good oh, he too, did so. do L.A. That's right. He did New York. At least that, that one was less ridiculous. Yeah. Um. So let's get into it. I, I mean, you were saying you didn't take a lot of notes while you were watching the movie because you wanted to experience it. I did not. I took a few here and there, but yeah, I'd never seen it before. I didn't know what I was in for. So I just wanted to enjoy the movie uh, and, and didn't want to be like pulling my phone out and trying to type something or write something down while I was, you know, missing something. Yeah. So. I paused the movie a lot because I took a lot of notes. Oh yeah. I didn't pause it <laughs> once. I just enjoyed it the way John Carpenter intended. <laughs> well, I mean, we start off with, uh, with Rowdy Roddy Piper. The late great Rowdy Roddy Piper, um, he's he's doing his best. I mean, he's got some super fucking Kurt Russell hair. Oh, that mullet is fucking majestic, man. Yeah. That thing is it, like it's so much more mullety than any haircut he ever had as Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah, yeah. Like, he always had like the little flip in the back, but uh, I mean, this thing's like shoulder length. <laughs> you know, and and the casting came, you know, John Carpenter was always a fan of wrestling, uh, I read. And he he met Rowdy Roddy Piper at WrestleMania 3, and they struck up a good friendship. And, and he wanted, like, a, a more everyman look for this. And he also had worked with Kurt Russell four times already, and he didn't want it to just be, you know, Kurt Russell was his guy for everything. Yeah. So, um, and I don't know if, if the lower budget also could have had a factor in there because Kurt Russell was, uh, was getting big, you know, late eighties. That was his heyday. It wouldn't surprise me if the studios weren't as interested either. If Big Trouble in Little China had just flopped. They'd yeah. be like, all right, let's back off of Kurt Russell for a bit. It, it may have been Walt Disney's last words, but, uh, yeah, maybe, <laughs> he was also dying. So maybe he wasn't onto something, <laughs> but, uh. Quick plot summary, take a cue from the guys at the movie seller, do like a, a quick summary of the movie, and then we don't have to worry about following it through. Sure. So They Live is the story of, uh, of a character named Nada, played by Rowdy Roddy Piper, coming into town. He's part of the working homeless, and he stumbles upon a plot, uh, the, some suspicious looking shit, and uh, he finds some sunglasses. And they allow him to see the real world. Everything turns black and white, and there's a bunch of fucking aliens running around, and billboards are different. Yeah, there's subliminal messages all over the place telling him to obey and consume and procreate. Marry and, and procreate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't question authority. Stay asleep. Just like, uh, you know, hey, do what we want you to do because we control the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, he basically says, fuck that, and uh, ends up starting like an alien murder spree, essentially. And they are not happy about that. No, no. And he turns into a, uh, a one-line machine, and uh, he teams up with his buddy at, at uh, his construction job. And they also find other people who, uh, I mean, the people who are behind the creation of the sunglasses. Yeah. And then they take it to the news station, which is beaming a signal out to everyone that is brainwashing everyone and making the, making it so they can't see the truth. And uh, they they save the day. Yeah, they blow it up and uh, everybody can now see the aliens as plain as day. Yeah. And then we, we assume they go and fuck them up. Yeah, yeah. Unless I they've mean, got like death rays or some shit. I mean, maybe they just all learn how to get along. Who knows? 
<laughs> yeah, they're all, <laughs> you motherfuckers, but okay. Yeah, that was a good one, man. Yeah. You got me. Cut that out. So we've got Rowdy Roddy Piper playing uh, John Nada, which is uh, a takeoff from the, the original story's Georgie Nada or George Nada. Sorry, I saw in the story someone called him Georgie when I was just glancing at it. And uh, but they don't say his name at all during no, the movie. Not not once. I was kind of like as I was getting like halfway through the movie, I was like, wait, is no one going to address him by name? That's interesting. And I guess John Carpenter wanted him to be kind of mysterious. Like he had Rowdy Roddy Piper, which I can't even call him, you know, Rod, Rod Piper. Piper. Like that just sounds weird. <laughs> Ro- like, Roderick Piperton. <laughs> yeah, he's he's Rowdy Roddy Piper. Like I, I've, I've got to do it every yeah. time. Uh, I guess I could call him Hot Rod. Yeah. But uh, he wanted him to come up with a backstory, like told him to come up with like a big thorough backstory about who this guy was, where he came from, why he did what he wanted, why he did the things he did and why he reacted the way he does, because he wanted him to feel authentic. But then he he also told him not to tell not to tell anyone about him, including himself. So like John Carpenter didn't know any of this guy's backstory as he was directing it even. Yeah. And unfortunately, Mr. Piper, that sounds even weirder. <laughs> Uh, took it to his grave, like did not, uh, didn't ever really tell anybody what his backstory is, which is one of the things that, that I, I found myself wondering as I was going through the movie, like, who is this guy that would react this way? Yeah. Like up to the point where he's like kind of confused and he's like, what the fuck is going on? He's kind of freaking out. But like this guy is in people's business. Like he's, and he does not, like, he's very confident for, you know, a man in his position, I guess. Yeah, it's it's almost like he's just got like an an unflappable uh, moral compass where he's just like, oh, like these these fuckers have to be stopped. Because, yeah, I mean, all we know about him is that he he believes in America. He believes in the American dream. He's a hard working, you know, like like the the working class or working homeless. And um, he's got a wedding ring on, even though. But that's just because he was married in real life and he refused to take it off. Oh, really? That's cool. And it's weird that it like. They don't play into, like, that shattering at all. Basically, everything he believed is horseshit, is what he finds out. And instead of, like, breaking down and having an existential crisis, he's just like, nope, gotta fix this. Yeah. You know, ends like, up, this like, ain't America. This isn't the world I'm gonna live in. Yeah, like, shoots some cops and goes into a bank and just, like, starts spouting badass one-liners mm-hmm. and kicking ass. And just... Insults an old lady in the grocery store in, in great fashion. <laughs> yeah. can, can we please talk about some quotes here? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness. Uh we'll we'll get to the rest of the cast and and the story in a second, but holy shit, like I had to make a special note for quotes on here. So clearly we've got the bubblegum and 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 uh kick an ass one. But uh what what do you think? Do you want to just <laughs> go back and forth? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I've got I've got a list here as well. Go ahead and start us off. So the the first one that struck me is uh, that the the drunk guy. I don't remember his name. I don't even. Maybe they didn't say his name. I don't was know, it the, the drifter? Yeah, the drifter guy. Yeah. Okay. Wait. Oh, I'm sorry. Because we're talking about the drifter real quick. I was watching that movie. And I was like, "What the fuck is that? Is that Red the bum from Back to the Future?" Sure enough, it was. Oh fuck yeah! It totally is. I got, he looked familiar, but yeah, I couldn't quite crazy figure out who he was. Drunk drivers. <laughs> yeah. And I also found out that he played a bum in escape from new york oh, so he got a bit typecast yeah no shit <laughs> yeah his name was george in quotes buck uh flowers in the movie no that's his real name in the movie he was just uh the drifter the drifter okay but uh yeah when the when like the tv signal comes on i think the second time it comes on 
and, you know, because they're they're always complaining about how it's interrupting the show and whatnot. Someone asks, like, what is that? He's like, ah, it's just that idiot licking his nuts again. <laughs> I was like, ah, that's great. Um, so, you know, we've already done the Brother Life's a Bitch and She's Back in Heat, which actually was uh, reportedly Macho Man Randy Savage's favorite line from the movie, or at least the favorite one-liner. That tracks. Yeah. Um, but one of mine... Okay, so he's he's freaking out on this old lady that bumps into him in the grocery store. It's fucking hilarious. He's got a couple lines against her, but at one point, like, he looks at a normal person who's next to him, looks back at her, and he goes, You? You're okay. This one, points at the old lady, real fucking ugly. <laughs> See, I take these glasses off. She looks like a regular person. Put them back on. Formaldehyde face. Like, <laughs> yeah. like he goes from being such a soft spoken person in, in the movie before the sunglasses to just being a, a fucking uh, a line machine. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like, you know what? Fuck these guys. Mm -hmm. These guys right here. Like I see all this bullshit on the signs. It's gotta be these assholes fault. Yeah. And I think that same lady, he says, you look like your head fell in the cheese bin back in 1957. <laughs> yeah, and see, when I when I heard that one, I thought he said cheese dip. <laughs> I was like, oh, what the fuck? Could have been either way. Yeah. Neither one of them makes a lot of sense. I'm yeah. not really sure where he was going with that, but well, I like it. We'll have to look it up afterwards. Um, there's another one where he sees uh, he sees one of the ghouls looking at her own reflection and like, you know, touching up her makeup. And he says, he just yells out like, that's like, that's like pouring perfume on a pig. <laughs> you got another one? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, I, mean, I guess it's jumping forward a bit, but the, uh, the, during the, uh, the fight scene that we will inevitably talk about later. Yes. I, I loved the line. I'm giving you the choice. Put on the glasses or start eating that trash can. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well then I, I won't, uh, I won't take up much more time i'll just do one more because i loved it so much it, it was so this is one of the earlier ones like after you know or it's oh sorry it, never mind it's after he gets out of the grocery store and he gets cornered by some cops in the yeah. alley and um and he you know said so he says something like what cut yourself shaving and the, and the cop says to him like you look as shitty to us as we do to you and then roddy piper the delivery is so great there's like a pause like he thinks about that and he goes impossible <laughs> he's, just like, Fuck. Hey, he's got such disgust for these guys yeah yeah and, and and like his his own like swagger he's just like you're fucking hideous and i'm a beautiful man you know and that that was something i heard about the casting with him too was you know carpenter didn't give him a lot of like difficult lines or or monologues or exposition or anything but he cast uh piper for not only his physicality but also because of his reactions oh well yeah because i mean coming from professional wrestling like being able to like play the role with your facial expressions yeah and with your body language is i mean that's that's part of the the shtick man like being able to sell the kayfabe with your physical reactions to things because you know if you're in the ring and someone does something stupid, you, you, no one can hear you talk. Yeah, it's it's like instant charisma, you know, that yeah. you can display. I thought he did a fantastic job in this movie. Like, yeah, I, I I'm not sure. Was he in anything else after this? Not much. Um, I, he was in a couple episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia as the uh, oh yeah the right. the maniac. Yep. I didn't even realize it was him. No, until, me neither, until later he was on, older and a little fatter, and yeah. But I mean, I thought he fucking killed it. He played this role exactly like it needed to be played. And like, yeah. you know, 
that reaction came in so handy when he first puts like the glasses scene when he first puts it on. There's no words for like at least three minutes. Yeah, he's just kind of like walking around, like putting them on, taking them off, and just being like, you know, he's got that professional wrestler wrestler shocked look on his face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's 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 dumbstruck. Coming back just there, like when we were talking about how you know how his backstory was something that he made up. Like when I was wondering, like who is this guy? Like one of the things that came to mind, like is he a former professional wrestler? Because like the way he's reacting to these situations is the way I would imagine a former professional wrestler would react. (laughs) They'd have all these one-liners like under their belt and they'd go in ready to kick some ass. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, the the kick-ass and chew bubblegum line was actually written by Roddy Piper. He had like a notebook of one-liners that he would say during wrestling and John Carpenter got a chance to look at it and he's just like, yeah, like that's the line for, for right here. So that, that, the credit for that chew bubblegum and kick ass goes all to, uh, to Roddy Piper. So we've got Roddy Piper, but we've got his counterpoint, which is Frank played by, uh, by, by Keith David. Yeah. Who is just, he's a force of nature. Like he, him, like in the thing, you know, where they worked, uh, worked previously. And then also in this, like. He's got such gravitas with his voice. That's the exact word I was just thinking <laughs> yeah. to describe him. Yeah. Like he if he speaks, you listen. Yeah. It's it's such a it's such a distinct, awesome voice. Unless you're Roddy Piper. <laughs> yeah, then you don't listen to a fucking thing he says the whole movie. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder. I'll have to look this up sometime. But I wonder if uh, if Keith David was the voice of Spawn in that HBO Spawn cartoon. It sound it. My memory it been. I haven't says it seen is, that but. in a long time. But and then and then I saw him years later in uh, in Community when he popped up like in the last season as an older man. You're like, wait a minute! Like I know that voice. It was wild. Um, but yeah, he plays Frank, who's a uh, a a uh, unemployed steel worker from Detroit. You know, when all the, when all the steel mills shut down, um, he was, you know, his wife and kid are back there and, but he's out there just trying to work. They're trying to keep his head down, you know, don't mess with anybody. Don't get messed with, just, you know, do go to work, do his job and move on. Yeah. And, and that's also a definite, um, role in, in the whole social commentary of everything. You know, like there, there are the people who fought against it. There were the people who gladly took part in it. And then there were the people who just wanted to, wanted to ignore it. And just wanted to exist. Yeah, just wanted to get by without getting fucked with. Yeah, they eventually team up. So, I mean, do we do we go right to their uh, to their big thing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they have one of the fucking mother of all fist fights, but it is like it is. It's five minutes and twenty seconds long. Yeah, it goes on for a long time. But it is. It's not flash at all. Like it. There's no. There's no music. Like, they're just in an alley, just trading blows. Just beating the shit out of each other. Holy shit. And and for someone that wasn't a professional wrestler, Keith David did a fucking pretty good job of selling that fight. And it it was a good, authentic-looking fight. Like, like, there wasn't, like, any, like, spin kicks or, you know, it wasn't like, you know, Bruce Lee kung fu movie fights which are awesome also yeah or like born identity fucking fancy shit or like black widow from the market punch punch yeah Yeah. and and there was no like fucking quick cuts or shaky cam it was just nice long shots of two guys just pummeling each other Mm -hmm. and one thing that that somebody pointed out to me that i really appreciate was that they would cut 
after the big hit. Like there, cause there were a couple like suplex, you know, like, like yeah. a couple wrestling moves, but they would cut after they hit the ground. And it's like, that's perfect because you know, it wasn't bullshit. If, if you see it happening. And apparently they worked on this fight for weeks in uh, yeah. John Carpenter's backyard. And originally it was just written to be like a 20 second fight and they took it to that next level. And like, and, um, I read even somewhere that, that the hits when their body blows are actually hitting, you know, like, like they, they made an agreement to not hit in the face or the groin, but the rest is real. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Roddy Piper's used to that shit. Yeah. Wrestling's, you know, it's fake, but you take some hits. It's fucking rough. The, yeah. Those guys beat each other up pretty good still. Yeah. It's, it's planned. But, but, but like you're, you're planning on getting fucked up. Yeah. You still got like dropped off the top of a six foot ladder or some shit. Like yeah. that's, you know, you're, you're, it's going to knock the wind out of you. You're going to fucking feel it still. Yeah. And if something goes wrong, it definitely hurts. But yeah, uh, Jeff Amata, the guy that choreographed that fight with him was, uh, he was like the stunt coordinator on the whole movie, but I guess he was also like most of the ghouls. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which I didn't notice until I until like afterwards when I was wa- you know watching some clips of him doing that. I was like, oh yeah, they all like a lot of them have the same hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's the same I mean, dude. <laughs> and it's a very it's a very eighties yeah. yuppie hairdo. Yep. Like that fight is what made me think, wow, this Nada guy is kind of a prick, because like Frank comes over to like give it, he gives him a week's pay. Yeah. Like, he's like, here's a week's pay. Fucking, you need to get it. You know, you need to lay low and get the fuck out of here. Yeah, because we're done. Because at this point, Nada is in the news. He's on TV for having killed cops and like gone into a bank with a shotgun and shot a bunch of fucking people. Where, as far as anyone knows, they're just humans. He just went fucking nuts and shot a bunch of people. Yeah, and Frank shows up, gives him fucking money, and is like, "Hey, fuck, take care of yourself. I want nothing to do with this." Yeah, and. Nada's just like, nope, you need to put these glasses on or eat that trash can. And, <laughs> and they just get in, in, you know, fucking big drag out fight. And I, and I love, like he, like, he keeps just trying to push the glasses on him the whole fucking time. Yeah. Like, anytime there's a break, because there were a lot of little breaks where, like, the fight could have ended. And then, and then the, you know, they pull themselves up. No, they're like, just, nope, motherfucker. All right, here we go. We're going again. Just keep going at it. And, and I really love the part where, like, he grabs the two by four and, like, smashes the window. And he's like, oh, sorry. Yeah. And then, and then Frank smashes the bottle and it, like, breaks completely. And, and Nada just like laughs for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> like, you think it's funny. And then, then they're just back into fighting because like they're, they're kicking the shit out of each other. And I, and I think Frank's a lot angrier than Nada is. Yeah. Like he just, he, he wants him to put the glasses on. That's yeah. It. He's like, stop being such a fucking stubborn asshole. Well, you know, it's, it's funny the perception because as I'm watching it, like I understand, you know, like Frank doesn't want to be involved at all, but it's like, really, Frank, you're going to, you're going to try to beat the shit out of a guy. You've got so much pride that you're going to get in a fucking knockdown drag out fight just so you don't have to take three seconds to put on some fucking sunglasses. He doesn't want to be involved. <laughs> he wants to stay ignorant. Oh fuck. I'd be like, I'd be like, fine, Nada, you fucking prick. Like, look, sunglasses on. Great. Now leave me the fuck alone. But I mean, no, it, w- it wouldn't have gone that two way. Two fucking tough, stubborn dudes, <laughs> fucking butting heads. And then at the end, walking away friends still like it's just fucking great i love it and i mean that scene has been parodied a few times like i I believe that's the the inspiration behind the uh the peter griffin and the chicken fights 
Yeah, the giant, oh, the yeah, giant chicken. Yeah. Well, that wouldn't surprise me because those also went on for five minutes, but weren't as good. Yeah, and then also in the uh, in the South Park episode, I believe yeah. it was called Cripple Fights yes. with Timmy and Jimmy. Yep. Yeah, I haven't seen that in years. Um, but yeah, that was something again in that in that old documentary I watched where like that you know they just talking about how long that fight is, which in a way I feel like it kind of got built up to be more than it was. Like I think I was expecting something where they're gonna like. I mean, more like the Peter Griffin and chicken fight where they're going to go like fucking go through walls and shit and like fire, fall off fire escapes. But, you know, it, it was like it wasn't very high paced, you know, like no. it, it wasn't it wasn't fast. It but was it was, very re- it was very realistic and wrestlery. Yeah, they were just trading blows. Yeah. I, I mean, I hadn't heard of the fight at all before I watched the movie. So uh, I was just like, holy shit, this is awesome. And it's. It's going on forever. It's still going on. Yeah, this is yeah. nuts. Over five minutes. <laughs> and Annie was kind of watching the movie with me, and she was like, why is this still happening? But she was like... No shit. <laughs> I thought that for a second there. I thought it was going to end once at like three and a half minutes. Yeah, nope. <laughs> I think that was right before the fucking knee in the crotch shots. Y- yeah, the five knees in the crotch, oh, man. Fuck. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was going to end the fight. Yeah, probably should have, probably would have. Yeah, right? So I guess just to round out the cast real quick, um, we've got Meg Foster. Man, those eyes. Mm -hmm. Damn. Do you recognize that lady and her eyes? I do not necessarily. She played- She familiar, but- She played Evil Lynn in the live-action Masters of the Universe movie. Ah, yeah, Yeah. no way. When I saw her name in the credits, I was just like, oh, fuck yeah, here we go with those eyes, man. They are such a light crystal blue. They're so distracting. Yeah. Like, they're hard to not look at. Yeah, like like hers, yeah, she looks, it almost looks supernatural. Yeah, it does. It sticks out because they're so light. He takes her hostage. She, like, like when they get back to her place and and she's like, ooh, you like being in power. And I was like, Oh shit, Meg Foster's into this. All right. Holy shit, was I shocked when she just turns around and fucking bashes his head and oh, fucking throws him out a fucking window. Uh, she was playing it, man. She's in control. Yeah. She's like, all right, you're the boss here. Whatever. And then waiting for waiting for him to get vulnerable. Like she starts to like almost stand up when he's falling asleep to do something and, and he's like, Don't fuck with me. Yeah. And uh, then she fucks with him, throws him out a fucking window. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and I think when he goes to, uh, to hole himself up under a house, I think that's the house from uh, lethal weapon Two that they end up like hitching to the truck and like pulling off the, the supports under it and it all fucking tumbles. Really? Yeah. I, and I, I think it's a pretty famous house. I think it's, it's a famous architect that, uh, that built that. Cool. Yeah. It looked like it was actually Roddy Piper rolling down that hill too. I'd believe it. Why not do his own stunts? You know, I mean, yeah. he pretty much made a career of doing stunts. Yeah, and it's it's not like, you know, he the, he's going to be insured for some high amount. Like if Kurt Russell was in the role, you yeah, know, like, like right? they they would have a stunt man doing it. But you know, it's low budget. I mean, Roddy Piper apparently, like Vince McMahon, was such a control freak with the WWF. I think it was still at the time. I think Might it have was. Been e. I think it was WWF still. Yeah, and um, apparently he like tried to keep Roddy from doing it. My pal Roddy. I've yeah. I've gotten casual. I found, I found, <laughs> I found the basis. key, um, <laughs> and he was even telling him that like, okay, I'll get you a movie role with an equal payday. But like, he just wanted to control it. So, Rowdy Roddy Piper actually left the uh, the the World Wrestling Federation 
to do this movie basically because he had to sever ties with Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon, man. man that guy's when, a fucking yeah. piece of work. When we do a wrestling episode, which we really need to get on, um, yeah, that'll be that'll be fun to do some research because it's it's an interesting story. The you know from what I have learned over the years. Uh, and, and I guess talking about Holly, the character Holly. Yep. So one question I had at the end of this movie was, do you think she was in on it the whole time? Like uh, at the end, like because because she she fucking betrays them essentially and ends up killing Frank. Do you think the whole time she was one of the people that sold out and that's why she had that nice big fancy house? Yes. And all that and kind of led the police there or whatever. Yeah. Or like kind of. 100%. You know, like I, I saw her at the, at the meeting of, you know, the rebels basically. Yeah. And I was like, oh shit, is she going to turn over a new leaf? And, you know, and I thought she had, so th they tricked me just like, you know, Roddy Piper was, uh, was tricked. I was like, yeah. okay, here we go. So it made sense that he was going to, to try to save her. And then when she walks up and fucking blasts unceremoniously yeah. murders Frank. Yeah. He's just, Man. he's gone at the end. You know, it, it uh, it made sense. Like, I didn't remember that from uh, from whatever spoilers I'd heard before. But she gets hers. Oh, yeah. Right at the end. I love it. She gets shot and just, like, falls straight back. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you, you almost want to hear, like, a slide whistle. Like, like <laughs> And I guess in that end sequence, one of the other, like, mental notes I made was the gunplay in this movie is ridiculous. Awful. It's awfully unrealistic but uh part of me really loves it like just watching <laughs> like roddy piper just sweep a machine gun back and forth or hold it with one hand like all sideways that was that was the one that was the one that i love there's like guys up on fire escapes and shit and he's he it's, it's almost kind of like limp wristed he's just sort of like waggling the gun around to the side and he's like shooting people off of a uh, off of fire escapes. Yeah, people who are, you know, steadily aiming at him and missing. Yeah. It's, fucking, <laughs> it's just brilliant late eighties action. Like, yeah. Whatever. It was, it was eighties for sure. And I bet Rowdy Roddy Piper didn't have gun training at all, but he watched action movies and he's yeah. like, Oh, this is what they do. This is what Rambo just, did. Yeah. They shake their hands around and, and waggle back and forth. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> it's fucking great. Um, and another thing in that last scene, did you see the uh, the communicators that uh, that the bad guys are using? Uh, I mean, I didn't. I saw them. I don't think I noticed anything. I didn't know. Awesome. Okay, my jaw just dropped for the, for the uh, for the listeners because this is not a visual medium. Those were straight up fucking PKE meters from Ghostbusters. Oh fuck yeah, they were, weren't they? Yeah, like except they were painted black. Yeah, the lights and everything. Well, the PKE meter was black. Well, okay, there we go. <laughs> I mean, maybe a dark gray. I don't know. The action figure version of it was blue, but um, but yeah, like they they even had the the little blinking lights on the on the antenna looking things. Yeah, yeah they totally did. They were just straight up reused PKE meters. I wonder how John Carpenter got his on uh, that. Yeah, it was the fucking prop master. He he must have known a guy. He's like, oh, what is his buddy who works over at uh, Columbia? I don't know. We're just uh, tossing out these uh, these PKE meters. You want them? Yes. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> um, so in the end, uh, Nada blasts that fucking uh, satellite to cut off the alien transmission, thus turning, uh, turning, I mean, turning off the illusion. You know, everyone on TV yeah. and everyone on the street is just all of a sudden one of those ghouls in color. 
Yeah, it was cool seeing them in color all blue and they looked better in color. Like like a lot of the time when something's in black and white and you see it in color, like it looks bad in color. Yeah, cheese dick. Because you have to change colors and stuff to make them look away in a certain way in black and white. But uh, they looked rad. They looked really cool. Yeah. And I like how they were all just like casually, like there's the guy at the bar and everyone's just kind of like looking over at him and then uh, boobs. Yeah, yeah. The movie ends with boobs. Ends with boobs. Ends with a with a with a blonde lady uh, with her with her naked body exposed, and it's a fucking ghoul that she is mounted on top of. It was pretty good. The cool part about that, that's also the last panel of the comic. Oh, really? Yeah. Awesome. So that 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 is pulled straight from the comic. And and Nada, our our protagonist, unfortunately is cut down. Like as he's blasting the satellite dish, he's shot down. And like his uh, his last act that we see him do is is to flip off the helicopter. Yeah, love it. Fuck yeah. <laughs> hey, let's take a break. We just wrapped the movie up more or less, right? Yeah. Dragon Ball Z, One Piece, Naruto, all things that we love, all manga that were originally published in the legendary magazine Weekly Shonen Jump. But not every series can run for 300 chapters and have a hit anime. This is David. This is Jordan. We're the hosts of Shonen Flop. Each episode, we look at manga that ran and jumped that didn't quite make it. We discuss what it did wrong, what it did right, how the series could have turned itself around, and ultimately, was it a flop or not? Run all your favorite podcast apps, and you can find us at shonenflop.com. Keep on flopping, floppers. Hey, Ben, welcome back. Hey, John. How was your break? Filling. Hey, I think it was it, that was the case uh, in another recent episode that I was listening to. Yeah, just got to eat dinner in between uh, talking about this stuff. Can I, uh, you know, refuel? Yeah, and a uh, little peek behind the curtain so people can see how ill-prepared we are or, you know, the, I mean... Nobody does this live and just puts it up. So, of course, we're recording ahead of time, but it is Father's Day today. Yeah. So, happy Father's Day to you, sir. And to you. And we, uh, your wife made us a delicious Father's Day dinner. Yeah, it was good. I'm burping it up right now. Yeah, we got some strawberry shortcake coming after the episode, so let's get the fuck on with this. This needs to be just long enough for me to digest and make some room for it. Yeah. You know, it was funny, uh... My family, for whatever reason, growing up when we had family dinner, like we ate dinner and then it was like, it was dessert time. And that's just how it always was. And I didn't realize it until my brother-in-law came into the picture. And then years later was just like, you know, like he was never in the mood for dessert or something. And like, he called it, he called it out, not, not in like a, uh, like what the fuck's wrong with you way, but he, but just very matter of factly one time it was just like, wow, like it's so weird that you guys eat dessert immediately. Like. You don't sit down and, and wait for the food to process, you know, start digesting it. And so that's what we do now. And it makes more sense. But uh, if you don't leave room for dessert, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it's just like however much room there is left, there could be no room left, but I will squeeze some dessert in there because I've got a sweet tooth. There's always room for jello. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. After hanging out with your dad yesterday, he seems like the kind of guy that would be very much ready for dessert immediately after finishing a meal. <laughs> he loves food. <laughs> he appreciates food on another level. Yes, he does. <laughs> okay, so the wh- one of the things I wanted to make sure we touched on, uh, because I really, really liked this, was the effect when he puts on the glasses. Yeah. Like, it's simple. It, it goes into black and white, and they used a lot of, uh, a lot of matte paintings. 
to uh, to put the signs in there and and even on on some of the cities and buildings. You know, like the matte painting was a big thing in that movie. And they did it really well. They did it super well. Like you wouldn't necessarily think it was a matte painting otherwise. And I think one of the things that helped is like the like when he puts it on and he looks at that. You know, he sees the first obey. Mm-hmm. You're like, that's a matte painting. And then when he takes them off and looks at the one about like you know seamless computing or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> That is also a matte painting. You know, like you're not looking at them like one looks more fake than the other because oh, they're both matte paintings. That's legit. They're really good matte paintings. Yeah. There's no people standing in front of them for most of the time. It's usually just him looking through them. So the the effect is pretty seamless. Yeah, and they've always got the camera locked off. So, you know, it's it's a nice static widescreen image. So you don't you don't have to worry about, you know, losing the illusion in movement. Yeah, and I think there was only a couple times where they did like big practical settings of where of the of the the subliminal messaging, you know, like the newsstand was yeah. one where he's walking by and they've got all the, you know, magazines and newspapers. Yeah. And that was pretty easy. And then uh, the grocery store was the other one and apparently that was the most expensive shot in the movie. Really? Cuz they had to stage and stock that whole grocery store with cans that had blank labels and said consume and shit on No shit. I didn't even think about that. And it also had quite a few people in it too. So, I mean, they had extra, at least four people with lines and stuff. So those first couple scenes with the sunglasses on were so great. Like, I think the very first one is at the newsstand, like the first person you see. Yeah. And it's so wild. Like, Seeing a monster like that, or the the ghoul that just looks, it looks fucking horrific. Like yeah. that is a freaky fucking face. I would, like you know, I I feel like like that was that's what was so um, attractive about the uh, the case when I was younger. It was just like holy shit, like that thing's fucking freaky. But it's so weird the way it's presented. It's just a dude who's like, what the fuck are you looking at? You're like, like, what's your? You got a problem? Okay. Yeah. And when he takes the glasses off, it's just some some normal asshole yuppie prick, you know. And and then he puts them back on, and the dude's just he's like the the ghoul face is looking back at him like like what the what's your problem? Yeah, what the fuck are you looking at? Yeah, like leave me alone, you weirdo. And it's it's so awesome to see all those ghouls in completely normal uh, settings and situations, you know. And and then and then it it, it almost like. Um, amplifies it once you know they start talking into their watches and they're like he can see us and then all of a sudden they're turning and looking at him and stuff and you're like oh shit like oh oh this is this is even more freaky now because i saw them being normal people and now they're you know it, and even that's kind of like the the 70s invasion of the body snatchers how how you know like they turn at you and like walk towards you and i mean yeah. they eventually make that weird noise but the other thing is like they're all like reporting him like none of them are gonna do anything about it because they're they're just a bunch of fucking soft ass yuppies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're gonna call in the cops to come do something about it. Yeah. Oh, good call. And they do that too. Yeah. Yeah, man. First kills on those cops. Like I don't know. This effect. It was so cool. Like it seemed like such a such a throwback to, you know, the the old black and white B movie science fiction flicks from back in the day. That that you know he said he was inspired by with this and especially that drone too like just yeah, floating oh, yeah. in the air looking like a flying saucer yeah like it, it was it was cheesy and cheap but it was so effective like i really like this movie i think those parts being in black and white helped them too yeah i think it helped sell the effects and i think and it, it gave the world you know it showed everything in a different light 
So it was really obvious when you were looking through the glasses and when you weren't. And I, I think it just helped sell it. Yeah. And it's, it's that extra little bit jarring, you know, like, like yeah. you, you, you totally understand the language of it where you're like, oh, this is, this is not you know, what I was just looking at a second before, like, this is something entirely different, you know, like, wow, we are looking at something weird and creepy and yeah, no, I, and I like that. That's the first thing he notices. Like he puts them on and he's just looking at the ground and he's like, what black and white, what? And like yeah. puts them back on and then he notices the signs and then he sees dude. And you know, that, that also amplifies the effectiveness of like we were talking about earlier, the, the color on the ghouls in the end, yeah. like all of a sudden you know, like, like it, it helps to sell the fact that those ghouls are in, are in the real world, like the real visible world. Yeah, now. Everyone can see them now. Yeah, man, that was, it was, it was very, was really well done. Yeah, it was a really <laughs> good way to frame all that and make it super obvious to you what's going on without, you know, putting like glasses frames around the, yeah, <laughs> around the screen or something, yeah. you know, or bobbing the camera to say like, this is someone's vision. Oh, geez. Yeah. Or, or, like, awful. or if they went the opposite direction, like super saturated it or messed with the, uh, with the color hue. Yeah. Now nah, we didn't need that. Yeah. Just going straight black and white. That was a, that was a good idea. Um, let's see. Do you have anything more about the movie itself? So, yeah, I wanted to touch on, uh, the soundtrack. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, yet again, John Carpenter did the soundtrack and, uh, yet again, I'm a bit underwhelmed. It was okay, like especially at the beginning. You know, it's kind of got that little bluesy riff that, but it it kind of pervades throughout the entire thing. It's a bit repetitive, and not super great. Like it doesn't set the tone necessarily all the time very well. Yeah, this this time around, as with a uh, a couple other movies, um, it, John Carpenter teamed up with um, Alan Howarth or Howarth. Howarth, yeah, it's yeah. Like Howard with a th. Yes. Yeah, and, and I, I guess they'd done a couple soundtracks before, including um, Big Trouble in Little China, that uh, that apparently is much better. Yes, that, that um, one's great. But this did have, yeah, like that that weird bluesy riff that, um, for it was even in, in my notes. Let me check what I said in my notes. like Because um, it was right in the opening. It caught me off guard. That uh, Oh, yeah, I said the music is like incongruous, like like uh, Twin Peaks. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of times Twin Peaks being a creepy show would have this this weird like saxophone and kind of bluesy jazzy <laughs> yes. riff. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on? I love that show and I love it for that. But, but yeah, when you hear that boom, 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 or whatever it is in, in the, it is, it is bizarre. And it's there a lot, which is weird. Cause I think I heard something about the soundtrack being like 80 minutes long. And it's like, I remember like four, like five minute loops of songs that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. over and over. Like what the hell is, else is on this soundtrack? Yeah. Like there were a few, a few, uh, very John Carpenter-y like keyboard stains. Yeah. With like a little bit there. of, yeah, like electronic sounds and stuff here and there. Yeah. But not, not a whole ton. And you know, I, I heard somewhere that when you listen to the soundtrack, there's even some like sound effects from the movie in it. And that's bizarre to me, but I didn't get a chance to listen to any of it. Oh yeah, I didn't have any desire to listen to the soundtracks. I didn't really yeah. enjoy the the music necessarily in, in the movie. And there was a lot of parts of the movie where there wasn't any music at all. Yeah, like that fight in the alley. Yeah, and I uh, was glad there was no music. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought that was a good decision. But like, just in general, with John Carpenter's stuff, I'm not. He like he likes to write his own. Like he, he kind of likes to do all his own shit. I mean, he wrote the movie. I mean, he used the pseudonym of. Uh, 
Frank Armitage. Frank Armitage, which I guess is an homage to H.P. Lovecraft, the the Dunwich Horror. Yeah, was it Henry, Henry yep. Doctor Henry Armitage from that. I'll stop trying to finish your sentences for you and just let you talk. <laughs> but uh, and and I guess part of that because he wrote a bunch of movies with that pseudonym. Oh, did he? Yeah, I think the the I think the thing was with that one as well, and. Um, I read somewhere that like one of the reasons he did that is because like his writing was frequently collaborative. Like his wife would help him write, and like I guess Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh, I, I gotta say his whole name every time. I don't know why. <laughs> Mister like, Rowdy Roddy yeah. Piper Esquire. I, I guess Roddy Piper uh, also helped kind of with the development and writing of this quite a bit, which yeah. is cool. And so he, you know, he didn't want to just put his. I mean, it's weird. He didn't want to put his name as the writer. But so many of his movies are like John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, so no kidding. His, his name's fucking there. But... He's like, I just want you, I want you to know that this entire package is presented to you by me. But to that end, he does a lot. He yeah. usually writes it and he directs it and he scores it. Probably an, an executive producer on it. I'm certain he's involved with the editing. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it really is John Carpenter's movie. There was actually a note on the, uh, the IMDb trivia that he, um, that he got final cut on this. And it was so strange to me that that would even be like a note. It's like, whoa, weird trivial fact. John Carpenter got final cut on this. It's like, oh, well, okay. It's, it's well, like the answer to a question nobody would ever ask. Well, I mean... But a lot of directors don't get final cut. And and I guess on this one, they gave him, the studios gave him quite a bit more freedom with the trade-off that they didn't give him a lot of money. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you don't get much money, they kind of let you do what you want. But if they give you, you know, $25 million, they're going to be all up in your shit. Yeah. And I think this was his second film after Prince of Darkness with uh, with Alive pictures or, or whatever the, the 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 studio behind it or the production company oh really i just kind of like assumed that that was like his production company that he named after the movie because <laughs> <laughs> i'd never heard of them otherwise yeah they live productions um so then I, I mean i guess the other thing is uh i guess the the meaning behind the movie you know it's funny i just looked at my note and and i i wasn't i wasn't sure and i was like i was like do you know I, I didn't research it at all so do you know the meaning of it or or are we just going to take the quote there like the they live we sleep this is not a uh like heavily metaphorical you know deep meaning movie it's it's pretty fucking surface level and john carpenter has not been shy about saying this movie is Fuck Reagan, fuck Reaganomics, fuck yuppies. Yeah, fuck the the unrestrained capitalism. Yeah, this is all about how the rich and powerful take advantage of the poor and meager and how they're working to keep us down and keep the middle class from rising so that they can keep their power and money. I, I guess there was like a big conspiracy thing uh, for a while or like, uh, you know. Uh, a conspiracy fan theory about how it was secretly about the Jews. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it was getting co-opted by neo-Nazis. Yeah, yeah, saying that, yeah, the the ghouls were the Jews, and uh, John Carpenter basically said, fuck you, no, it's not. It's, it's about yuppies and rich people. Yeah. Eat shit. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it wears its, its uh, political message right on its sleeve. But... One thing I like about it is that even though it is super obvious what he's driving at with it, 
it's not like heavy handed. It doesn't treat you like a child. It's not like trying to educate you because you're stupid and you need to learn this stuff. It's just kind of, it just is. That, that is true. And that's a good point because I, I personally, I mean, ask, ask my girlfriend, I hate it when people tell me what to do. I don't give a shit who you are. Obey. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you have the authority to or not, and whether I need to listen to you, if you tell me what to do, I fucking, I hate the shit out of you. And you know, a lot of times that'll happen with celebrities or when, when movies get preachy, I instantly turn off. I'm like, you know, like, like to the point to where if, you know, there's a celebrity guest on a talk show or something and they just start to get a little political, you know, and, and get preachy. I'm just like, fuck you. Like, I have no interest in watching you at all. And I really appreciated that in this, that it's, that it's not telling you how you should be living. It's just saying, here's an interesting story from a perspective. And we're just going to, we're just going to tell this story, but we're not, but we're not going to, you know, end it with like, you know, if, if you, if you're one of these people, then eat shit, you motherfucker. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. Like you said, it it doesn't ever really pass judgment on the ghouls either. I mean, other than like, they're clearly running the show and doing this stuff and you understand why Nato is, is motivated to do the things he does, obviously. And you empathize with that because clearly there's aliens that have co-opted your, you know, (laughs) self-determination, but you know, it doesn't, like it doesn't go out of its way to portray them as like super evil. Like one of the things in the story that that it didn't even include in the, in the movie was uh, that they ate people. Oh, I did hear that. Like at one part, like he goes into one of their kitchens and there's like a foot and like a bunch of body parts and shit, and he finds like dining utensils on. on Ew. And I think it's kind of cool that John Carpenter left that out because he didn't he didn't need to make them any more insidious than they were because they weren't. They weren't there to, like, like they weren't hurt, killing people or being overtly evil. They were just taking away your liberty and, you know, s- s- co-opting your life. Well, and and they were doing no more than you know what he felt like. Like it's it's a pretty one-on-one comparison, you yeah. know, than, than what he felt Reaganomics was doing to society. And I I really liked their their explanation when they were talking about about the aliens and their motivation and what they're doing. It's like. He's like, no, they're, they're just, they're just coming here to like, like we're, we're a third world country to them and, and they're just coming here to develop and, you know, and, and process. And then, and then when they're done, you know, they'll, they'll move on. Yeah. When the drifter's talking. Yeah. And and he's like, hey, listen, we all sell out. Yes. What's wrong with being on the winning team? Cause it's like, yeah, you do. You know, you're either working for, you know, the dude at the construction site and shoveling shit all day, or you're working for these guys and you're living comfortably. Like what the fuck's the difference? Yeah, and 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 Drifter didn't turn evil when he all of a sudden had a tuxedo and a martini. Like no. he's just like, "Hey guys, you're here too. Cool. Let let me show you around." You know, like it, it yeah, it it wasn't it wasn't like now this guy's an evil piece of shit. Like Meg Foster, she seemed like she could have been a, a little evil, you know, cuz she was actively turning on and killing, you know, people that that were yeah. that were not complying. But that's as far as it went. And that and that was just sort of like, you know, she's gonna she's gonna get ahead if she's doing good work for those people. Yeah. I know? mean, I guess the aliens did like murder that entire warehouse full of people. But but that's again, it's analogous to what you're talking about, where you're talking about like government overreach. Like you don't need to make Stalin a, ca- a cannibal yeah. to make him evil. Like, no, he's wiping out the people that disagree with him. When you're in power and you want to maintain your power and people are threatening it. 
that's the easiest and most effective way to take care of it is just to eliminate them. Yeah. And we talked about it a little earlier about how it kind of relate, how it's, it's still relevant, if not more relevant now. Yeah. He was definitely more focused on politics and money and power and less on, you know, and the media was part of it, obviously, but it wasn't a, so much about the media itself where now I think there is with, with social media and the way that like news media has kind of like fractured into political groups. Yeah. It is very much like they're sending signals out to people like here, here's what you should believe. Here's the narrative that you can follow. Here's the facts that are real for you. And <laughs> very good qualifier. I mean, it's in the same vein of what this movie's talking about, but uh, he didn't quite foresee it taking that, that path, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like in, <laughs> in they live, the media is a tool for for the ends whereas nowadays it seems like the media is is more in control like rather than being a tool like it is the tool it's the yeah, platform it's driving yeah it is the thing that's driving what's going on and yeah and, and i mean i we're not going to get preachy about it no because but it's i just, mean we're we are we are technically a part of it in a way i mean we're not we're we not are. trying to tell people what to think but it's like hey Geek stuff is good. Yeah. Listen to geek things. Buy our geek things. We should put some subliminal messages in here. That would yeah. be good. Yeah. We'll Obey. Have look, have to look into that. Do some ASMR. Obey. Call Orc Turd. Call 916 Orc Turd. <laughs> Shop.geeksplorationpodcast.com. Though I got to say, even without like the, the message of the movie, even if you just wanted to watch it as like a straight sci-fi flick about aliens invading... It's still fucking good and still fits the bill. Like it doesn't, if you decide to ignore that entirely, what, what the relevance and the, the meaning behind it, you still have a great time. And I love that. Yeah. And, and to be honest, like, I wonder what a 15 year old watching this for the first time would think about it. You know, somebody who, who didn't live through any of, any of the, the Reaganomics, you know, any mm -hmm. of the Reagan years or, or hasn't heard of any of that stuff really, you know, unless they've, they've gone and sought it out but i don't think that's what they're teaching in school these days but you know somebody who who has a completely different understanding of society who's you know they've grown up with social media yeah and they probably have a much more positive and uh i guess dare i say naive view of what social media is and its impact on them yeah because you know, when you're that young you don't think anything is going to affect you know like yeah i'm i'm independently minded i know what i think and you get older and you realize wow I, I was just eating up whatever bullshit people fed me. <laughs> yeah. And we certainly did that too oh, in, yeah, our, in our absolutely. own ways. Holy crap. Yeah. It, it takes a long time to come up with your, uh, with your own opinions. I know. 15 years from now, maybe I'll look back and think how, about how stupid I am right now. Yeah. We'll do a deep dive on, on geek exploration, the podcast year two. We'll be like, oh, you hey, fucking you idiots. Fucking morons. <laughs> how did you not see this? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess, do we want to do like our, our thoughts on the movie? Like what we, I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. I heard it described by a, a couple people as like his, his masterpiece or his, his opus. And, uh, at least for me, this is, this is not my, I don't think this is his best movie at all, but it is good. Like I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that it, that is a pretty accurate description. I think as far as like symbolism goes and and you know like deeper meaning to things this is probably 
as as far as it ever went. You know, yeah, it's like I think so. Yeah, I mean, the thing probably has some uh, some good social commentary in there about paranoia and mistrust. Yeah, but I mean, this this whole movie is predicated. Yes, on that. Yeah, right? yeah, that so. it was the basis of it. But I mean, like I like I touched on earlier, man. Like I thought this was going to be a weird horror movie, and I didn't realize that it was that it was going to be much more a Twilight Zone episode, like a science fiction. Um, like mind fuck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and with, with some good one-liners and some good action thrown in for, for good measure. And I, I really, really enjoyed this film. Like I, I would 100% recommend this to people. Um, yeah, like I, I think anybody who hasn't seen it and is intrigued by the notion should. And I, I, I encourage people to check it out. It's, it's not a long watch. It's not a difficult watch at all. No, no, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's a little slow at the beginning. It takes a little while to get started. Yeah. It takes like 40 minutes to really get into some action. I think that is good. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure where it was going when I was watching it and thought it was a little long, but it did a good job of kind of helping build the character of Nada and who, you know, kind of where he's from and kind of the, the build the world situation so that you can empathize with him later on when he realizes that the world really is against him. Well, yeah, and and in the same way where there's like a, a stark contrast between the color and black and white uh, of the glasses, like I feel like there there is a contrast as well with like how much his character turns once it becomes apparent to him, you know, what's going on, and it's action time because you know he is he's a very reserved character, like he's curious. And, you know, like, go like, oh, what the fuck's going on over here? But he doesn't say a lot. And then all of a sudden, like, they open up that can and and he's just like, all of a sudden talking about how fucking ugly a lady is in, in the grocery store. Just like, what the fuck is wrong with your fucking face? And, uh, and it, you know, it, ju- it just, it puts into perspective, you know, like, like, I feel like they kept it low key going to there. So all of a sudden it seems more you yeah, know, bombastic like a, and like, okay, you're in this, like, let's get moving. Like a switch has been flipped. Yeah. And there's almost an hour uh, left in the movie by the time that happens. So yeah. you're, you've still got a good chunk of movie where, you know, it's not like he just picks up the sunglasses and then there's a final confrontation. Yeah. Which, I mean, John Garbiner added all that stuff because like the, the story does start with the revelation. Yeah. Like there is nothing that occurs before the revelation that this guy has that the world's not what it seems. And and I think that was a good, I mean, he had to do something to yeah. make a six page story into a 90 minute movie. <laughs> yeah. And I think what he went with works. So. Yeah. Uh, you want to jump into structure? Yeah. For whatever it is? Yeah, we should. As with the Zardoz thing, you know, we didn't do a whole lot of planning. This is more about experiencing something for the first time. And there isn't a ton of reverberations in pop culture from this to pull from for our favorite use in pop culture um so i guess i'll kick it off like like when we were when we were talking about doing this episode the other night i just immediately said like i call duke nukem yeah that's that's the one from my childhood that i remember yeah so i think we're both gonna take that right yeah oh yeah there's not there's not a whole lot to, to to go with um and Honestly, like Duke Nukem is kind of also an amalgamation with like, or at least with all of his one-liners with uh, Ash from Evil Dead. You know, he's got a lot of those like Hail to the King. But, but you know, I remember being a kid and hearing that uh, Duke Nukem in Duke Nukem 3D saying like, yeah, it's time to kick ass and chew bubble gum and I'm all out of gum. I think it's the first thing he says in the game. Yeah. 
Oh, no, no, no. The first thing he says is like something like, uh, those alien bastards shot down my ship. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shot, shot up my ride. Shot up my ride, yeah. <laughs> and then he goes down, yeah. But, like, it's in the first level of the game that he, yeah. that he says that. And uh, I almost used that as my first impression, but then I'm like, shit, that's also my favorite use in pop culture. Because <laughs> that was definitely the first time I encountered that phrase. Yeah, yeah. And he wears sunglasses also. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's a big, buff, tough man fighting aliens. Uh, like, I think that uh, Duke Nukem... Uh, would have uh, had the same reaction as Nada if he had uh, been in that same. Yeah. What the fuck? And then, yeah. What the fuck? All right. Time to kick some ass. Uh, I mean, I almost imagine that uh, if uh, Nada had lived and a war had started, he would have become Duke Nukem. Good call. Like that is, that's where that character would have gone. Yeah, because, I mean, there was an explosion up there after he flipped the bird, but you don't see a charred body or you don't see him get disintegrated. Yeah. Oh, unfortunately, Rowdy Rowdy Piper has passed on. Oh, he would have played a kick-ass Duke Nukem in a live action yeah. movie. <laughs> um, the, the one thing that, that caught me off guard, and this was before I saw the movie because I've seen the clip of the, the kick-ass and chew bubblegum um, comment, but... What's weird is is how different the delivery is for oh, from yeah. Roddy Roddy Piper because we're used to that you know that low gravel of Duke Nukem it's like it's time to kick ass and chew bubblegum but like hearing Rowdy Roddy Piper's like like I've come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubblegum like it, it was such a weird delivery but I still love it it was like an announcement yeah more than like a and uh. More than like a cheesy one-liner threat or just like bravado. Like it didn't have the same bravado. Yeah, it's less of a like an exclamation, you know, and more of a like just letting you know. Yeah, just a statement. What I, uh, This is what I'm here for. So you're fucked. Yeah. That scene probably had some of the best gore. There wasn't really any gore in this movie. Yeah, just some squibs. But uh, yeah, but it had some good blood splatter. Oh, yeah, the spatter on the walls and with those super white walls, you know, in black and white. Yeah, it was pretty good because otherwise most of the kills in this movie were pretty tame, by, especially by John Carpenter's standards. Yeah, that, that scene in, in, the, uh, in the bank and then also the end scene on the newsroom floor. Like it, it had some good squib work. And it's interesting how, you know, when it's in black and white and you're looking at the aliens, like even like women that are getting shot, like you're just like, in the moment, you're like, yeah, aliens getting killed. And you're like, oh, man, like like if if you were viewing that without the glasses and it's just some dude in there fucking shooting up innocent oh, yeah. men and women like he would not be the hero. Yeah, it's horrifying. Yeah, but, you know, they've got those fucking grotesque faces. Speaking of which, like, I guess the the one drawback was the talking like there yeah. for the most part, it wasn't that bad, but there were a few parts where it was just like somebody's saying a little too much and those mouths aren't really moving. So it, it yeah, was rough. It was very clearly a rubber mask. Yeah. But you know what? Whatever. Look it's cool. a low-budget f- movie from the 80s. I'm perfectly fine with it. That's yeah, something and, I can look past very easy. And that threw back to, to the 50s monster movies also. You know, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was a cheesy effect. I think I'd be more upset if they remade it and did like CGI faces on everybody. And they would too. They totally would. It was would. so stupid. Fuck, I hate movies. <laughs> Stupid fucking movies. <laughs> Modern movies eat shit. So, want to go to one-word review? Yeah, final thoughts. One-word yeah. review. Well, which I kind of feel like we did 
do final thoughts to a degree already. Whatever. We'll do it again. We'll do finaler thoughts. Finalist thoughts. Yeah. Um, go ahead with your one word, because I don't have one. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, the, the word I went with is, uh, I mean, it's it's from the story. It was the, the, the key word that uh, kicked it all off. Awake. Okay. I think my favorite thing about this movie is just the concept of people living their everyday lives and then you know, having some event occur and all of a sudden you see the world for what it really is or, you know, you know, or at least in a totally different way and how it can, uh, like you said, it kind of flips the switch in him. Cause you think about it. If you found out all of a sudden that, uh, half of the people in the world were strange fleshless creeps and they've been <laughs> controlling you, like it totally fucking shatter your worldview. You wouldn't, after that moment, there's no way you'd be the same person you were before that. Yeah. And I think it does a good job both with him and Frank. You know, as soon as Frank puts the glasses on, he's just like, oh, okay, fuck. Yeah, this is what we're dealing with now. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, and they have that little breakdown in the in the hotel room, you know, where Frank's like, so what the fuck? You know, and... and yeah, where do they come from? He's like, they ain't from Cleveland. Yeah. He's like, I don't have time for that shit. Yeah, and, yeah, and then Nada's just like, well, if you got a fucking master plan, where's it at? Well, I'm open, because I don't fucking know what we're doing either. And I just liked that, uh, you know, that depiction. It wasn't like uh, like Lovecraft, you know, where you you see the truth of the universe and you go fucking, you just can't handle it, and you go mad. I like the fact that, you know, that these guys see it, and they're just like, nope, let's fuck it up. TCOB, take care of business. Yeah. All of my previous values are now out the window. It's time to fucking blast some alien scum shits. All right. Well, I'm I'm gonna go with ghoulish, and because you know, even though they don't uh, they don't name them anything in the uh, in the movie, as we've been saying throughout this episode, uh, they they were referred to as ghouls. Yeah. In in the credits, they're called ghouls. Oh, are they? Yeah. Oh, cool. That's where I noticed because in the book, they're called fascinators. Oh, weird. They're going to fascinate you with something. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, they are. They're fascinating the entire world. Yeah. And, and you know, of course, the, the obvious one is just because of, you know, the ghouls themselves and how it's it's creepy and those makeup effects are fucking eerie and just, you know, they, they make you uncomfortable. And and uh, I, I think they, they do it really well. Yeah, those giant eyeballs and the teeth and, and just seeing, like, the contrast from from going, like, normal human being to normal human being with a ghoul face in black and white. But also just, you know, the 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 creepy feeling that, you know, if, if you wanted to be a conspiracy theorist or a, or a tinfoil hat thing, like, you know, this this probably wouldn't be a bad idea. You know, if, 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 if you were an alien race that had this capability and you wanted to subdue the human race, like... They'd be doing a good job if they were in control of it right now and doing it. You know, like, it's kind of fucking smart. Yeah, well, there are, like, there are those conspiracy theories for, like, the lizard people that yeah. run, the, run the world and shit, you know? So, uh, it could be real. If it was real, you wouldn't have any idea that it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. So, it's it's got a really icky, creepy feeling to it if you're, if you're a worrier like that. Or if you, you allow yourself to entertain those thoughts. Which, you know... I don't do it with any, with any like real earnest, but 
I, I love conspiracy theories just because they're, they're so much fun to think about. And oh, yeah, I know I've some, talked about that before. Oh, yeah, we did an entire yeah, episode on conspiracy theories. There's some exciting theories. rabbit holes to go down. That yeah. Are just, yeah, I like going down them and just being like, wow, people actually like wholeheartedly believe some of this yeah. stuff. Like, and some of it you're like, well, that's, that could be. It's plausible. Yeah. But, so, so with something like this, it just, it, it gives me a, a, an, an icky feeling that like, oh, like it would make a lot of sense if that's what was happening in the world right now. So, I mean, ghoulish was, you know, I, I could have used like creepy or, or icky or something like that, but I, I yeah, wanted, yeah. I wanted the play yeah. on ghouls. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and it, and sometimes like you, you see some people that just wholeheartedly believe something that's so ridiculous and, uh. Mind controls is good of a reason to believe they'd leave, you know, they think that yeah. anything, anything like nine eleven wasn't an inside yeah. job. <laughs> that the earth is flat. <laughs> yeah. Like what? I was being sarcastic with mine for the record. <laughs> but uh oh, and one one thing like as much as I liked those masks, uh the one thing I was a little disappointed with, and I get it, because it's right at the end of the movie and it doesn't matter, but like when you know the the you know, it shows the ghoul that she's humping. Mm-hmm. It shows his whole body because that's the only time you see him without clothes on. Yeah. And it's just like he's just painted blue. Oh, like really? It's just a blue painted body. It's like, oh, they should have done something oh, to make his body look ghoulish no, there, too. There was someone, it may have been him. Did, did it show his legs too? No. Okay. Well, there there was one where it showed the legs in color and it was like blue with like purple splotches. It wasn't, it wasn't like, like, um, you know, any sort of like raised makeup effect, like on the faces, but it yeah. did have like splotchy coloring. I think he might have had like gloves on his hands because they had gloves as well. Like they used what they had. They weren't yeah. going to make, you know, for a two second shot of a dude, they weren't going to, you know, make up a whole costume. I get yeah, it. They didn't they have the, the, yeah, they didn't have the budget of the thing for special effects. But uh, it would have been cool if he had a more ghoulish, horrifying body. Yeah. Triple headed wiener or something that she was horrified to be sitting on <laughs> <laughs> or just you know reuse the uh the the chest chomp or you know yeah. the torso chomp thing from uh from the thing they had to have something lying around <laughs> from the thing that would be horrifying right or something from ghostbusters yeah right they obviously had access yeah the zool suit <laughs> all right thank you folks for putting on your sunglasses and uh running through this uh this weird world with us today if you want to let us know how we did you can shoot us a uh, a little electronic mail message at email at geeksplorationpodcast.com um, if you want to find us on the social medias we are at facebook geeksploration the podcast page instagram geeksploration podcast or twitter at geeksplore pod or you can please 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 give us a call uh 916 Orc turd. That is nine one six O R C T U R D. Let us know what you think. Um, you can ask us questions. You can give us suggestions. In fact, you know, I I I was thinking earlier it'd be a lot of fun to do more of these movies that we haven't seen, and you know, do movies that listeners are interested in. So if you wanna, if you want us to tackle one of these, go ahead. Uh, leave us a voicemail or send us a message on any of those platforms, and. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll do a movie night for your movie. Yeah. I mean, you don't know what movies we haven't seen, but uh, you can, uh, you know, if you enjoyed this format and you guys want us to do like your favorite cult movie that maybe we haven't seen. Yeah, exactly. Especially if it's something obscure that we've never heard of, you know, that's not big in the lo- in media. Perfect. Uh, let, let us know because that shit would be fun. Yeah. Like if, if somebody's got a movie that doesn't get nearly enough exposure and they're like, well, fuck, like, here we go. You know, here's here's your platform. 
I'll watch a fucking movie and talk about it for a couple hours. Yeah, and I haven't seen all kinds of shit, so... Uh, That's true. <laughs> so you got a pretty good chance. Uh, so, and if you enjoyed this show, go by Apple Podcasts or Podchaser and leave us a five bubblegum review. We've still got merch available at shop.geeksplorationpodcast.com. And uh, we're part of the Geekly Grind Podcast Network. Uh, you can find them at thegeeklygrind.com. Yep, they got podcasts and articles, and and they do video content as well. Yeah, yeah, they do streams. Uh, I try and retweet them when they're still current. You know, sometimes I see them like two hours after they're over or a day after they're over because I'm not on Twitter all the time, and I don't bother retweeting those ones because yeah, at that not, point they're not a thing anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, go check them out. And uh, our theme song, as always, is "Cruising for Goblins" by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Until next time, you're okay. This one, real fucking ugly. <laughs> <laughs>